0: And uh, you can start by turning in your Bibles to uh, uh, Second Timothy chapter 3, because we're going to start there, although we're going to be uh, traveling throughout. This will be a sword drill sort of thing for those of you who remember those, <laughs> those sort of things. And shall we pray? Again, our Lord God and our Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to praise you and thank you for your goodness to us, for the fact that there is no God like you. There is no God other than you. There is no so-called God because there is only two categories, God and creation, Everything other than you is created by you, dependent on you, and subservient, ultimately subservient to you. Lord God, help us to to continue to understand your word, to live it, to teach it, to by all means seek your glory and honor and praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, it's been a while since I've spoken on uh, cremation I mean creation. <laughs> uh, and the pastor asked me to do so today, so uh, I thought I'd give uh, a brief introduction onto the topic. Actually. Uh, truth be told, I've preached this message before. Um, But we've had, it was many years ago, and we've had a significant uh, turnover in church population since that time, so I thought I'd uh, uh, preach it again. Creationism is really a belief that God created the universe just like the Bible says. Um, In six literal 24-hour Consecutive days, about 6,000 years ago. Therefore, with that, with that basis of understanding, we view and interpret all scientific evidence from, from that perspective. In other words, the things that you can see, the things that you can test, the things that you can, can experiment on and repeat need to be interpreted in that framework. Because let's face it, you can't retest history. You cannot redo history. History is a one-time thing. And is any, was anybody there? I wasn't. Even with the gray hair, I, I was not there. I have a hard time convincing my children of that sometimes, but nevertheless, it's true. God was there. And so we take His Word as the discussion, the framework for what we can measure. What we can experiment on, what we can see. But before we go on any further, I want to pose a question. Why is belief in a literal six-day creation important? After all, isn't preaching the gospel what is important? I mean, the the Great Commission did not say, go forth and make sure everybody's a creationist. No. It says, preach the gospel to all creatures. Okay? Does somebody have to be a creationist in order to be saved? I mean, if you turn to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, Paul did not say... Uh, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received of the Lord, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and he was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that the world was created according to the Scriptures. I don't read that that last phrase in 1 Corinthians 15.3. You don't have to be a creationist to be saved. As a matter of fact, there is a lot of good Bible-believing Christians who aren't creationists. I wish that wasn't true, but nevertheless it is. It's not actually part of the gospel. So why would we want to stand up for such a polarizing issue when it is unnecessary for salvation? After all, when I got saved, I was an evolutionist. Until I read Genesis and I said, No, wait a minute. If this is true, this can't be true. And if this is true, this can't be true. Well, that's what was one of my first dilemmas when I got saved. But I won't go into that. we have to be careful, however, what we say here. Because while, the, while creationism is not part of the gospel, it is foundational to the gospel. And we'll see that more clearly as we go through the message. And also, as we'll see, creation is an integral part of the word, and it cannot be logically consistent to try to believe the, the, the Bible and the pillars of evolution. You can't do it. Like I, like I said, the first time, I'll just, I'll just mention this. When I got saved, one of my biggest problems was the Bible's true. Before I got saved, I should say, because I, I grew up in a in a church. It was rather liberal at the time. And... Uh I remember I distinctly remember the pastor standing in the pulpit saying, Well, of course the Bible has errors in it. He he used this illustration. If you saw had two people on the same on two different street corners and witness an accident, they'll have different views of that accident. So you have different people reporting the same thing. Therefore, there are errors in the Bible. And and I kept that in my mind all the way through high school, all the way through you know, tech school. I was working, out working in, in aviation. And I was confronted with no, the gospel is true. Or I should say, the word of God is true. God wouldn't lie. And that was the dilemma. That was the horns of the dilemma that the Lord used. To get me saved and of course naturally the preaching of the gospel so what we believe is that with the Bible being true it speaks the truth about not only about salvation not only about morality but also about when it speaks on history, when it speaks on scientific issues. We believe it to be true. Now, for years, many Christians have tried various schemes to fit the vast eons of time required by evolution into the Bible. And there are, there's all sorts of different theories as to, to how... That might happen. They they all have these fancy names. They might be theistic evolution, or the day-age theory, or the gap theory, or the framework hypothesis, or they might say uh, Genesis 1 through 11 is really just poetry. So you really can't believe what it says. But every one of these ideas... By the way, I haven't gotten into your notes, so some of you are looking around, where do I take notes here? And I haven't gotten there yet. And the counter is counting down. So, At any rate, uh, all these have one common denominator. Every single one of them takes away from the normal interpretation of Scripture. When you go in in Scripture, you read what it says, and you plainly believe what it says. All those theories take away from that okay so much so that there the, many people have compared the modern creationist movement in some ways to the a second reformation because what was the two battle cries of the reformation sola Fida, only by faith by faith alone and Sola Scriptura. The Bible is the sole source of authority. Okay? So we go, we'll start off, really, as we mentioned in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for... for, um, Correction for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And what we want to focus in on is all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And pastors have gone over this many times. I just want to to reiterate it again that what this word is talking about is not something being put into Scripture, but something that comes out. If you were to stand real close to my face as I'm talking, you would feel puffs of air coming out as I speak. That's what happens. We force air over our, uh, from our lungs, through, over our vocal cords, and the, the words are shaped by our mouth and tongue and and things like that. That's how we speak. That is the word, that air coming out is the word given by inspiration. These are the words that God speaks. This this word, the Bible, has the same authority as if God was here speaking to us. Okay? Okay? We just had, a just to illustrate this, we sang a song, just before we were up here. This, these are the days of Elijah, and we talks about the Lord returning. I have reference here, Isaiah, uh, chapter forty, verses three through five. How do we know? And basically, what this passage is talking about is the Lord revealing Himself in His glory to this to the whole world. We know that the Lord is going to come back. How do we know that? How can we be assured of that? The Word of God says. We'll see you in a little bit. We base we remembered. Here, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know he rose from the dead? I mean, after all, doesn't modern science prove that people don't rise from the dead? How many people have you seen risen from the dead? How many graveyards have you seen? How do we know it to be true? Because the Word of God says so. It has the authority of God speaking. It is the very words of the God of truth. As a result, the Bible is true and accurate in everything that it states, including statements that touch on history and science. While the Bible doesn't claim to be a science textbook... God doesn't go into details as to how he did all these things. It does give us a framework. It gives us, it lets us know what he did, when he did it, and how long he took to do it. Okay? Just let me, let me clue you in on one, one of the points that I'm trying to make here. The creation-evolution controversy is really not a disagreement about science. After all, an evolutionist has the exact same universe as a creationist to look at. He can run the exact same experiments. They They run the exact same experiments. They look at the exact same facts. And when it comes to observational science, looking at how things work in our day and age, experiment, doing experiments. An evolutionist and a creationist will be right together. Because we see the same things. Where the disagreement comes is on things that you can't observe. Like we said, history. You can't observe history. Therefore, there is a disagreement. And the the evolutionist bases his interpretation of what he sees based on his view of history. The creationist does the same thing. If you believe, and well, let's, let's move on here. The Bible describes a certain history for the beginning of the earth. God created everything in the six literal 24-hour consecutive days about 6,000 years ago. Evolutionists have their own understanding of history. About 14.7 billion years ago, nothing exploded and became everything. I should say rapidly expanded because the Big Bang really isn't about an explosion. It's a rapid expansion. Okay. As things progressed, uh, the universe slowly took shape and I won't go into all the details uh, about astrophysics and things like that, but with These ideas, that's where we get the the divergence in how we interpret uh, science. One really starts off, they really diverge at the very foundational presupposition that everybody must make. Does God exist? That is the first thing that one pretty much has to presuppose. If you believe that God exists, then you have a God that can create everything. If you believe that God does not exist, what are you left with? Naturalism. First presupposition is atheism with its... with its necessary corollary of naturalism. Next, with nothing to, no purpose, no guide, you have a random chance. You and I are just nothing but an accumulation of fortuitous accidents. Okay? Since random we really have never seen and nobody has ever seen random events create anything uh, somebody has, off, has often said well you want to build a 747 put a stick of some dynamite into a junkyard explode it and see if it will see what comes up if you keep exploding it enough times sooner or later you're going to get a 747 I really don't believe that would happen. (laughs) But it would take a long time to do it. And that's the third presupposition. By the way, long ages are not proven by science. They are presupposed. You hear, how many times did you hear, well, radiometric dating proves that this rock is 14, or 4.5 billion years old. Yeah, well, come see me afterwards, and I'll give you more details about radiometric dating. But basically, radiometric dating proves nothing. You have to pre-believe in long ages in order to interpret the radiometric data. At any rate. One other little detail about long ages. There are over 200 different means that we could use to measure <coughs> the age of the earth and the universe. Well over 90% of those means give far less, a maximum of far less time than evolution requires. <coughs> Excuse me. In other words, the longest, if you take this particular measure, the longest possible time that this measure would give you is far less time than evolution requires. Okay. Thanks, Dan. Turn with me, real quick, to Romans chapter three and verse four. This is this is uh, what Paul, a statement that Paul makes, sort of offhand, to to argue against those that would say, "Well, well, let's let's turn there, real quick." Let's go back to uh, let's go back to verse one. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much, Anyway, He's, talk, he's basically in, uh, introducing the gospel and, and talking about, you know, well, if everybody's condemned, what good is it for being Jewish? Okay. Well, much, every way, he says. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Well, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the the forgiveness of God? In other words, there were people in the Old Testament, Old Testament Jews, that, that even though they had Scripture, they didn't believe it. Sort of rings the same, doesn't it? We have scripture, don't we? How many are there in our day and age that don't believe it? What does Paul say? Let God be true and every man a liar. Just because somebody doesn't believe the Bible doesn't mean the Bible isn't true. The Bible is the, so, the th- authority. Okay? Okay? Are we going to believe God who is there, who knows all things? This is thinking about creation. Are we going to believe the God who is there, who knows all things, who does not make mistakes, who always tells the truth, whose word is forever settled in heaven, and who tells us his truth plainly in his word? Or are we going to believe men who are not there who don't know everything who do lie and whose ideas change constantly which is a more trustworthy source for information about things that we would not, never know anything else about god who is there and just like this passage in romans 3 states just because somebody does not believe the word of god does not make the word Untrue. are we going to believe the word it reminds me of Elijah again these are the days of Elijah he challenged the people he rebuked the people of his day on Mount Carmel why halt ye between two opinions If Baal be God, follow him. But if the Lord be God, follow him. Are you going to commit yourself to the Lord and believing his word and follow him? Or are you going to believe what the people around you say? We expect that all unsaved will not submit to the Word of God. After all, they are in Adam. And just like their father blushing in his nakedness behind a bush, so they also try to hide from the presence of God. You know, it's, it's a scary thing to have and to know you are condemned by a holy God who is your judge. And you have no means of salvation. That's a scary thing. Adam, can you, can you picture Adam and Eve in the garden? having partaken of the fruit, and now they hear the voice of the Lord. Uh Uh-oh. How many times when we were growing up did we hear Dad's voice? And you know you've heard the voice. Roger, Eric, come here. And when you hear that middle name, you know you're in serious trouble. And what's worse is when they use all three, Roger, Eric, Webb, come here right now. You know you're in serious trouble then. Well, Adam heard, Adam, where are you? And how often do people hear the gospel and they in their shame and their, their nakedness before God are scared? What am I saying? They, want, they don't want to believe that there's a God because they hide in their sin. But those who profess Christ have no excuse. You can't believe both evolution with its long ages and the Bible. I want to turn to the next uh, uh, screen. We see a little chart, just uh, some of the major contradictions. Some people want to say, well, God used evolution. To bring the universe into existence. Well, here's some of the major contradictions between the Bible, what the Bible says, and man's opinion. In order of appearance, the earth was created before the sun in the Bible. In according to the Big Bang Theory, the Sun happened before the earth. Fruit trees occurred before fish in the Bible, but fish came before fruit trees a long time before fruit trees in evolution. According to the Word of God, the first man was formed directly from the dust. According to evolution, man descended from pre-existent animals. The first woman was was created from man's side. The first, according to evolution, the first woman descended from a some pre-human uh, female. Isn't it interesting that both both genders evolved together so that they could. Uh, they could uh, re- uh, procreate at the same time. It was convenient how those things happen, you know. The time taken for creation everything in six days. And of course, they appear, everything appeared over vast ages. 14.7 billion years is the, the current estimate. Of, of evolution, uh, the next. You can take the next uh, uh, screen concerning Noah's flood, and we'll ta- have a little bit more to talk about this. But the, according to the Bible, the the glo- the Noah's flood covered the entire globe, 100 percent. And of course there's no global flood there's a whole bunch of smaller floods in in uh, evolutionary theory and particularly the more and more we, we go uh, there's a, modern science is moving to what's called neocatastrophism which means that they can no longer ignore all the catastrophes all the geological evidence that supports the catastrophes that, that uh, really supports uh, Noah's flood. They can't believe in a gentle growth of, of all the sedimentary layers. It just doesn't work. Next major uh, item, death, violence, suffering, bloodshed, disease, only after and as a result of adam 's sin, all these things occurred are intruders in god 's perfect creation, according to evolution they 've always been, and it 's actually death is what drives evolution, which is a is a unique concept, but uh, We won't go into that in too much detail. Finally, the fall of man and the curse changed all creation. Everything is changed at that. And then finally, creation always was. Who are you going to believe? On the next screen, please. The quote from John MacArthur, I think he speaks directly to this point. Scripture, not science, is the ultimate test of all truth. And the further evangelicalism gets from that conviction, the less evangelical and the more humanistic it becomes. What did we say earlier? Earlier? In many ways, the modern creationist movement is sort of like the Reformation because people very often are abandoning what Scripture says. These are professing believers, abandoning what Scripture says, but instead believing what man says. All we need to do to prove how dangerous that is is to take a quick look in history. Three examples, real quick Charles Darwin himself. His only earned degree was in theology, he was a man who did believe or professed to believe the tenets of the gospel. But the more and more he he studied and convinced himself of evolution, the more he rejected Christianity. To the point where when he died, he did not believe there was a God. Of course, he, there were many issues going on there. He had a terrible blow to his faith when his daughter, Annie, died of a terrible disease and he could not reconcile of God of love with the death of a little girl. That is a hard thing for any person, any parent often have you said, heard no parent should ever have to bury their child? It is a terrible thing. But it does happen. Next example, Princeton Theological Seminary. One of the great bastions of the faith. And in the mid to late 1800s, two particular men, tremendous Theologians were active in that that seminary. B.B. Warfield and Charles Hodge. But they both compromised on long ages in order to maintain credibility with the intellectual community they introduced into princeton the idea that long ages god took long ages to bring this about to we'll see them in heaven there's no doubt in my mind when you read their writings tremendous men of god but as time has gone on what has happened to princeton theological seminary the more that goes in just like dr macarthur said the more christians get away from the understanding that scripture is true the more they say well we have to interpret scripture through our understand- current understanding of science the more Christianity will get away from the truth of the gospel and get into humanism. Finally, there was an evangelist at the beginning of the 19th century that grew up, actually became, came to prominence with Billy Graham. They were good friends. man's name was Charles Templeton. Charles Templeton had many, many great crusades along with Billy Graham. Charles Templeton graduated from Princeton. And as he continued, he could not reconcile a loving God with all the death and disease and the suffering that he saw in this world. And his final book that he ever wrote was titled, Farewell to God. He was an avowed atheist at his death. It is, it's, it's a shame that a man who quite probably led, was an instrument in presenting the gospel to thousands, if not millions of people died in such a state. Putting, putting it bluntly, do you want you to lose your effectiveness and authority now and unlock the door to unbelief both in your life and your children's lives? Believe man's word over God's word. Do you want to hold fast to the word of God? Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by Him? Hold His word steadfastly, resolutely, in the face of people who will laugh at you, people who will think you're quite stupid. People will think you're a moron. But do we want the praise of man or the praise of God? And that's the question. Turn with me to Psalm 11. Real quick, just going just to reference this real quick. verse 3. Belief in evolution compromises the truth of the gospel. Psalm 11 verse 3. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations of our society, which at one time was very generally, the, the Word of God. If that is destroyed, what are we left with? I often state that Genesis is the foundation of all Scripture. Every Genesis, in my estimation, is the single most important book of the whole Scripture, of the whole canon. Just like The foundation of a building is the most important part. Now, of course, how many of us want to live in a foundation? Most of us enjoy the roof over our head, right? And the walls, you know, they sort of come as a package deal. But what happens when your house has no foundation? How many times have we sung the children's song? Uh, the rains came down and the floods came up, and the house on the rock stood firm. But what happened to the house on the sand? It fell down. If Genesis is the foundation of Scripture, Genesis 1 through 11 is the footer for the foundation. In that section, it, well, let's put it this there is not a true Christian that does not believe in the historic historical reality of the resurrection. But how do we know that's true? Like I said before, how do you know Jesus rose from the dead? If it wasn't for what document? The Bible. The gospel itself rests also on the historical reality of Genesis 1 through 11. And we want to take a look at that real quick. We want to take a look at three facts from Genesis 1 through 11 that, if rejected, emasculate the gospel. They just tear its guts out, if you will. If you be, number one, if you believe in billions of years of earth history, and the, the current uh, estimate for earth history is uh, 4.5 billion, the first thing that you have to reject, or you have to believe, I should say, is that there was death before Adam. Because you had 4.5 billion years of history and however many, couple billion of life on this earth, and that they all had to die before Adam, whoever that was, came about. You also have to, this is a corollary to that, you have to believe in a local flood that there was no Noach flood. It was just a, a local flood in the Mesopotamian Valley. That's why Noah had to get all the animals on the ark, because they couldn't get out of the, the Mesopotamian Valley, right? Particularly the birds, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't fly away. At any rate, the whole story is ridiculous if it's a local flood. But at any rate... You have to believe that death occurred before Adam. Romans 5.12, what's it say? For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. for as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin therefore death passed upon all men for that all sinned now we could spend 5 years preaching on that verse alone that's one of the one of the most amazing verses in the whole scripture but it plainly states that death sin and death were a direct result of Adam's sin. But if you believe in evolution, death always has been. As a matter of fact, death drives evolution. Beyond that, death before Adam makes God responsible for death and suffering. And this is is what Charles Templeton wrestled with. He believed in evolution, he believed that death occurred Therefore, God was responsible for death. How can God, who, who is supposed to be loving, create death and suffering? Many people use that. They say, well, God used evolution to bring bring about this universe? Well, first of all, you have God lying in Genesis 1-11 through 11 about how He created the world. But also, what kind of a God would use such an inefficient, wasteful, horrible method to create His universe? There's a lot of evidence in the fossil record of cancer, animal cannibalism, death, disease. I mean, the whole, the whole uh, fossil record is a catalog of death. Did God really look at that and say, oh, it's very good? Yeah, look at all those, those sedimentary layers over a mile thick and you get into, out in the Grand Canyon. And all those dead creatures in that, all those sedimentary layers. That's very good. By the way, if the fossil record is a catalog of billions of years of evolution, as some suggest then the worldwide catastrophic deluge would have destroyed the fossil record. Therefore, it has to be a local flood, if you want to believe in millions of years. If there were billions of years of earth history, then death is an integral part of creation. It is not, as scripture states, the last enemy that will be destroyed first corinthians fifteen twenty six we believe that death is an intruder an unwanted intruder into god 's perfect creation another thought on this if god is in the process of restoring the entire earth back to Edenic conditions, and we could look in Isaiah chapter 11 and in Isaiah chapter 65 to see that, where you know the the, the wolf will lay down with the kid. God is God is bringing everything, restoring everything to Edenic conditions. If evolution were true. What are those conditions? Do you want to live in in a millennial earth with death, disease, and suffering and, and pain and, and everything like that? The gospel is good news, and where's the good news in that? If evolution is true, then there is no at literal Adam and Eve. First of all, if evolution is true, if you believe in billions of years, death has to be forever. Second point, if evolution is true, then there is no literal Adam and Eve. There are some who compromise with millions of years who say, who teach that there was a pre-Adamic race of soulless humanoids. And then God... Took one of them and put a soul into, or two of them, put a soul in them—one, one one male and one female—and named them Adam and Eve, and that was that was the start of men and women. And these soulless humanoids also buried their dead and had religious rituals and made jewelry and made all, all these instruments, musical instruments. But they weren't really humans. Well, again, if you want to believe that, where did Eve come from? When God says he made Eve from the side of Adam. Secondly, if there's no literal Adam, then there's no literal flood or fall. And the gospel is not about salvation from corruption and eternal penalty of sin. It becomes merely a means of making people better. This is what John MacArthur was saying about we turn more and more to humanism. There's no real problem. There's no real sin problem within our hearts. There's, it's just we have some, a few faults and we'll get better. And if that's so, why did Christ have to die as a substitute for sin? If there's no internal corruption, if there's no real sin nature within beating in the breast of each and every one of us, why did Christ have to die for sin? We could just get better and better and better. I'm okay, you're okay kind of thing. No. If Christ came, it is because we had a real need. We really fell, for as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Finally in 1 Corinthians 15:45 says the first man Adam was made a living soul the last Adam was made a quickening spirit for as an Adam all die in Christ all will be made alive scripture calls Jesus the last Adam in contrast to the first Adam Each one is presented as a federal head of a group of people. You say, What's a federal head? Well, a federal head is somebody whose actions and decisions are imputed on everybody else within their group. Just like our federal government makes, has actions and decisions that All Americans share in. Adam was the federal head of every single one of us. And in Adam, we die. Because his decision to eat the fruit was imputed to every single one of us. And the unrighteousness of that decision... And the rebellion of that decision. But in Christ shall all be made alive, because the righteousness of Christ is imputed to every single believer in Christ. If there's no literal Adam, if there's no first Adam, how can there be a second Adam? We have no salvation apart from Christ. Finally, and I'm not going to I'm not going to speak on this topic because our time is up here. But Creationism also gives a better understanding of how to reach our society. When Paul was in Athens, I should say, when when Peter was preaching in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. When Paul was preaching in Athens, Uh, a few people were saved. Was Peter more effective than Paul? No. Because he had a different audience. He had a group of people who understood sin. He had a group of people who understood the, the salvation that God can provide. Paul, What did Paul have to do I see your great devotion in all your on all your street corners. And I saw an idol to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you, God who made the heavens and the earth. Paul took them back to the Creator because we have to start we have to understand god is a creator god is the judge god is we god is the one with whom we have to do we have to give people the basics it's a more of a process more the more our society gets away from a biblical understanding of history, the more we have to rebuild that foundation when we're speaking to people about salvation. If somebody already rejects the Bible as the Word of God, what good would quoting the Bible do for them? Because they've already rejected it. Bring them back to God who created all things. Lessons for our lives. Number one, the only offensive weapon that we have to take the truth to those who so desperately need it is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If we throw our swords on the ground and refuse to use them, we're powerless to accomplish the work of saving souls. As the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither but watereth the earth that may bring forth and bud that may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it will accomplish that which I... It will accomplish that which I say. I'm not going to quote anymore. You get the idea. It's the Word of God that God uses to bring men and women to Himself. When Jesus was tempted of the devil, how did He thwart Him? It is written. It is written. When Jesus was opposed to the scribes by the scribes and the Pharisees and Sadducees, what was his final point of authority? Have you not read? Since he spoke with Eve in the garden, it has always been Satan's modus operandi to get us first to doubt the word of God. Yea, hath God said. Did he really say that? Did he really say that he created? We must always believe first what the Bible plainly states, even if we look pitifully naive and foolish in the eyes of the world. Number two, many Christians approach Scripture and science with a two-box mentality. They have one set of beliefs in one box. Well, this is my Sunday box, and and so I can believe what the Word of God says. And then there's the the every-other-day-of-the-week box. Well, we can believe evolution. When asked about evolution, they'll say something like, well, you can believe in millions of years, just believe in Jesus. You also hear comments like, oh, the Bible's not a book of science. It's a book on morals and values. It is that. But the most important morality about it is truth. If God cannot be trusted to convey the truth concerning history and science what does that say about his morals and his values Well God says one thing here but he God said he created it in 6 days but that was just so, cuz people were didn't really understand technical issues therefore God can justify lying What does it say about morals? Jesus said to Nicodemus, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe me, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? If we cannot believe what God stated, when we can see these things, we can test them and and show that they support Word of God. And by the way, all observed scientific information supports the Word of God. There are various interpretations of that information, some of which are very contrary to the Word of God. But when you look at the facts of science, they support what the Word of God says. Finally, take your beliefs out of both boxes and compare them. Believe only what Scripture states and learn to interpret science through the filter of Scripture. Because Scripture is so little valued in our day and age, fewer and fewer people have any basic knowledge of it. When we give people the gospel saying that, well, Jesus loves you, They get this great warm and fuzzy idea, but they have no real concept of the greatness of that love. Christ died for their and our dire need of salvation. I've appreciated the approach the way of the Master takes to witnessing by giving people a proper understanding of the requirements of the law. How even, however, that, even that approach will fail when the individual totally rejects the word, including the law, and having any authority in their life. When witnessing to people, we cannot expect just to preach the gospel once, but many times. Lay a sound foundation. Answer questions. That's what the Word of God would have us do. And finally, there may be some folks here who have never once truly trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. This really has not been a sermon about salvation. But if you cannot say and affirm, I know that if I should die on the way home, that the Lord will take me into his heaven. If you can't say that with all assurance, don't leave here without talking to me or one of the other elders. Christ died. To bear in his own body your sins on Calvary's cross. Because that need is there. Take the opportunity before you leave today. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father.